0: Welcome on in, lacrosse fans and sports bettors, like another live edition of Bet on Lacrosse. We're getting right into it, punctual as always, because we have so much to get into. NLL playoffs, NCAA, Conference 20 Week is upon us, and there is all kinds of betting implications to get into outside of the quite obvious terrific action that we all have coming up is a beautiful time of year to be a lacrosse fan a month away from PLL action as well so we got playoffs all over the the PLLs right on the heels as well so Plenty to get into here. I'm Dan Alexander. Happy to be here with you. Always enjoy doing these live Twitter spaces and we can, you know, all exchange some ideas, hive mind, so we can really beat up the bookies. Uh, we're excited to be here with you. Another full crew. We're also going to be joined by a special guest coming up. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But today, we got my guy, Justin Byers, FOS business writer with us. We got Brian Andrews from Pro Lacrosse Talk. And of course, we got our Pro Lacrosse Talk host and Action Network producer, Hutton Jackson. JB, we missed you last week. I feel like anytime that you're not on is when my bets don't cash. And when I'm not on, my bets don't cash. So I feel like it's the synergy that you and I have when we align, when I'm really cashing those tickets. So happy to be back here on with you. Uh, how are you doing? I know you're pumped up for this
1: week, my guy. I'm doing well. I'm ready to get back to the action I, I missed last week. Um, Actually had a little bit of luck on my end, even though I wasn't able to share it. Hopefully we can pull that over to this week as we've got some pretty Pretty tough conference matches. It's going to be a great weekend. Well, if it wasn't said
0: on the Twitter space, it doesn't count. Even though you have the money in your body, I'm just I'm just messing with you, JB. Happy to have you back. Justin Byers, check out his stuff, Front Office Sports. Brian Andrews also with us one of my go to NLL guys he's going to be breaking down this week's action alongside Hutton Jackson have some actionable info for you and we also have some kind of more macro betting stuff we're getting into maybe you've heard or seen these terms arbitrage or middle or hedge floating around we're going to break down exactly what that is and how you can be making money on it Brian how are we doing today
2: man. Good, man. I was really stoked to see an arbitrage opportunity in the wild for the first time. Uh, And I'm excited to get into conference playoffs, although I'm off to a really bad start because I was really high on Navy. I was buying all all stock in Navy, and uh, they let me down this week against Lehigh. So off to a bad start this week. Looking forward to hopefully rebounding going into the weekend. Yep, you and I both.
0: Uh, fell into the Navy trap they had there, really seemed like they were peaking. And, you know, that's why it's called gambling, I suppose. You never never know how it's going to end up turning out. So I was standing there with that losing ticket the same as you are. And I love you uh, saying, you know, uh, in the wild, a, a wild arbitrage in its natural habitat, the Steve Irwin of betting my guy, Brian Andrews. Hutton, I know you're excited too, man. I mean, I think you can probably tell just in our voices how excited that we are. This is a terrific time to be a lacrosse fan. So many new eyes coming to the sports. And, you know, you and I is, uh, as as betters by nature, uh, pretty exciting that we're able to kind of cash in on our fandom as well. But how are you doing, Hutton? And I know you're excited for this week just like me, my man.
3: Yeah, I'm doing well. My best bet last week I gave out went well, uh, the over 24 and a half Boston army. So I was happy that cash because the rest of my bets didn't, but luckily I was saved. Brian mentioned the arbitrage opportunity um, that I was feeling great last weekend because I knew I was guaranteed to make some money based on that. Um, Even if, you know, a lot of my gambles maybe didn't pay off. um, That bet definitely did. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, and kind of what, what happened and kind of how to
0: spot those in the wild when they, when they do occur. And Kat's going to be out of the bag now because we're hoping, fingers crossed, we're going to be joined by former Redwoods player Brown L- LSM. And, of course, everybody's favorite Ivy League expert. We're hoping to get Larkin Kemp hopping into the space a little bit later as we try and purse through the Ivy League. Spoiler alert, you we were talking before the show, I ain't laying one and a half with anybody in the Ivy League because uh, take your favorite coin and flip it. That's what betting the Ivy League has been this year. So we're going to try and make some sense of it with our guy Larkin Kemp coming up here on our Bet on Lacrosse Twitter space. We're also going to break down some matchups this weekend before we get into our favorite NCAA plays for this week. It's why we had to hop in, get some Wednesday night action for you, because Thursday, massive slate and now you got playoff implications you have a whole season of data to look into so trying to formulate what my best bet was this week was a little bit tougher than than what i expected you know just because there were so many different games that were up there and like i said you have this great sample size you could feel better but i'll give credit where it's due man the lines this week and really as the season has continued The odds makers took their lumps early on in the season with a lot of those money line parlays that we were able to throw together, some really good money-making opportunities. There's a lot of lines that you just look at and you say, man, I could make a case for both sides. So I think this week is a pretty tough week to bet, which is why, um, you know, I'm not going to be pulling off the rubber band or anything. But I think we all have uh, at least one play in NCAA action and maybe even a future opportunity for you guys and gals who are listening in here live on our bet on the cross twitter space also if you're listening back they're always recorded they're always archived you can check them out like them uh, subscribe on uh, P- apple podcast wherever you get your podcast you can always listen back right here in your twitter feed as well if you enjoy what we're doing only thing that we ask for you we don't ask for any tips we don't ask for any money back for the money that we make you all that we ask is that you share, you tell people about what we're doing here on bet on the Cross. Once we wrap things for NCAA, we're going to get into our favorite NLL plays for the weekend. It's playoffs time. And we might have that two and a half popping back up. One of Brian and I's favorite spots. And it might just be a team that we love betting just because we're homers like that too. But we have a case to be made potentially as well. are going to talk a little NLL before we wrap things today. So, Like I said, guys, we have so much to get into. So let's get right on into it with one of the more intriguing matchups and one that maybe is playoff by nature, not quite playoff by name. That's Notre Dame as they're taking on Duke. Notre Dame, a one and a half point favorite. 145 is what you have to lay on the money line. So if you're a $10 better, that would be a 1450 spot you'd have to lay to bring back. $10 ten dollars on that one duke a modest money line underdog at plus 115 so a ten dollar bet would net you 1150 back on that total sitting at 26 and a half i see a lot of leans on our rundown here guys so i'm gonna throw it the way of our guy jb because i think he has the strongest opinion in this game and it might be one that's kind of standing against the crowd justin byers front office business writer what do you got for the folks jb
1: yeah, I'm rolling with Duke plus one and a half. And if you've been familiar with the way I feel about this Duke team, I was pretty high on them coming into this year. They tailed off to start to start things with a, a look warm kind of February and March, but I think they've kind of got back on track. I loved what I saw this past week. They, uh, they dominated in all phases, particularly in that third quarter against UNC. I think they carry that momentum over into uh, this matchup with Notre Dame. Yeah, I do know it's a lot of stadium up at South Bend. Um that is a tough place to play especially this time of the year. But Duke is well versed. They've got a lot of experience and of course they've got a lot of talent. I I'm, I'm I'm like I'm in the middle with this Notre Dame team. I think they could potentially make something of this latter half of the season, but they haven't shown me anything quite yet to justify a win over Duke. That's why I'm rolling with the Blue Devils on this one.
0: And I think, too, you know, maybe people will look at recent history and see, you know, maybe Notre Dame, you could say, quote-unquote, got the monkey off of their back and finally got that win against Duke earlier this season, but they had to cling for dear life to get that win. I mean, Duke gave them all that they could pretty much handle. They did end up coming away with that one. So that's why it's not as easy as just looking at the past matchup and saying, oh, well, Notre Dame won. Let me just hammer Notre Dame. And I think that one and a half is telling you it's expected to be a pretty darn close game. Now, I think, too, if you look back at more not-so-recent history, this is a matchup where in the spot where Notre Dame really needs a win when they meet the Blue Devils, that's kind of been the thorn in their side. Like they haven't got that signature win. Yes, they beat them in the regular season in a really good spot. That was one of my best bets that I cashed on with Notre Dame earlier this year. I love the spot that they have. And I don't know if I love this spot for Notre Dame against Duke as much, which is why it's just a a lean for me. I'm looking the other way for Notre Dame. I I just think from what we've seen, the body of work this season, Duke's left a little bit to be desired, to be honest with you. I I think I'm still kind of trying to Figure out why Duke hasn't been the stalwart that they maybe should be, and since I don't really have as strong as an opinion, I'll just throw some things at you before we get Hutton's and Brian's thoughts. Um, just you know, I guess some uh, not quite bulletin board, but uh, you know, like like uh, water cooler stats and figures and things like that. Duke's looking for three straight games in a win if they if they would beat notre dame they haven't won three straight games this year since the first three games of the season they came out of the gate three and zero. since then it's been a two-piece here a two-piece there um duke has not won three straight games which is what they would be looking to do pulling up the upset against notre dame also an interesting note um If you just look at what Duke and UNC all season long, you know, credit to their athletic directors. They did a great job of making sure their team stayed home because Duke is only going to be playing their fifth road game this season and in their four other games, a two and two record. So how much can you glean from that? Probably not much, Um, but, you know, worth mentioning that Duke's going to be going on the road. It's only the fifth time that they've had to do that this year Um, as they head to South Bend in the lifetime series, Notre Dame against Duke. Notre Dame has a little bit of an edge there when they're playing at their home stadium. They lead 3-2 and in the series at Duke in home games, does the Irish, against the Blue Devils there. You just look back to the last meeting that these two teams had. Irish were a perfect 16-of-16 clearing the ball. Really not much of a ride by Duke, and you could argue maybe that's how they were able to hang on because even when Duke would come back, you turn the ball over, and Notre Dame was going the other way, cleaning it perfectly. Also, when Duke was going man down, part of the handicap why I liked Notre Dame was that strong offensive extra man unit that Notre Dame has. Their man up was a perfect three for three in that game. They end up winning, you could argue, you know, by one goal, having that be a really big spot for them, having those EMOs. Um, for what it's worth, though, either of these teams go down, both of them are number one and number two in man-up offense. So if anybody's getting bit by the uh, the penalty bug, you know, you're getting some, some tough calls going against you, it could make you pay. Notre Dame, number one in the nation, cashing in 68% of the time that they are man-up. Duke, not far behind at 63%. They are second in the nation with that mark. So, again, It's not enough to push in my chips on Notre Dame. It's a strong lean towards them just because I think they're the better team and they just have a little bit more gusto coming into this game maybe than Duke does. Um, Not enough to get money out of my pocket. Certainly not enough for me to be laying a a one and a half in a game that Duke could easily hang around the entire time. So just a lean for me. Um, Brian, you know, you hear all those figures I'm dropping out. Um, does that paint the picture either way for you or still kind of, you know, standing in the corner, you know, you, you maybe look towards Notre Dame, but not enough to be getting any money out of your pocket on it. How are you attacking this
2: one? Uh, definitely not enough to get any money out of my pocket. Uh, I think the one thing that's missing, uh, from all those, you know, trends or, or water cooler trends, maybe we can coin that, uh, is the fact that this game has a lot of implications for both teams, particularly Notre Dame. I think they're, uh, the resume gets really weak if they are to lose to Duke here. Uh, but Duke also needs the win to really make a statement to the committee. So it's just – I think there's too much at stake for both teams, and I think it's going to be a real dogfight. And for that reason, I, I wouldn't want to lean either way. Uh, so I, I don't think there is anything that you could say to convince me to place money on this game, to be honest. What if I told you the game was fixed and it's <laughs> I'm, just,
0: I'm just I'm just kidding with you.
2: So so that would
0: probably be the only way we would have some actionable info for you if we had some inside information um, that the game was gonna be thrown either way. Cause I'm I'm with Brian. Like you can try and make a case either way. I think JB made really the case to make for Duke and uh, still not, you know, enough to maybe win me over either way. You know, getting those uh, getting that point and a half, having it potentially play to a one goal game as well, I, I think is probably the, the, the maybe more fiscal way to look towards it. But I, I think it's going to end up being a pass because you can really make a case for either side. Hutton, anything to uh, add on that or how you're kind of attacking this matchup? Notre Dame a one and a half point favorite as they take on Duke total twenty six and a half.
3: Yeah, I'm past on this game. Uh, I mean, this game, though, like you said, it has major implications on the NCAA tournament. I feel like if Duke loses, you can pretty much write them off as missing the tournament. If Notre Dame wins, I think you can write them off as probably going to make the tournament, whereas the other scenarios gets a little murky. You know, if Duke wins, they have a great case, um, but do they get in Like at large? It's still up in the air. Notre Dame, if they lose, again, kind of up in the air. Right now, um, the RPI has Duke at eight and has Notre Dame at 13. Um, Again, I know a lot of people like to bash an RPI and rightly so. I mean, they have Princeton at number two. Princeton didn't even make the Ivy League tournament. We're going to talk a little bit about that um, as well. But um, that's what's really interesting about the ACC not having an automatic qualifier or tournament this year is kind of leaves uh, it up to the committee. And so we can assume UVA is going to make it. And I like to hope that Notre Dames going to get in, but if Notre Dame loses, it definitely hurts their chances and uh, I have Notre Dame future, so I'm definitely pulling for Notre Dame in this game, but I'm gonna lay off of the uh, uh, betting it.
0: I'm right there with you. I'm holding on to a future for Georgetown, and I'm holding on to a future for Notre Dame. It was just two really good spots, uh, two really good value picks for me. We've talked before. You can go back, check out some other episodes when we really dive into how we attack future markets. Um, we'll also, for what it's worth, going to have an episode that's really exclusively about future markets um, following the PLL draft and just about how maybe there's an effect, maybe there isn't, but breaking down how some of these teams have uh, you know garnered – Maybe some market support following that draft that's coming up next week. That's Tuesday, the 10th, the PLL draft going on. So we'll talk a little bit more, just macro futures thoughts. On that, but uh, holding on to one of those futures as well. So fingers crossed. Let's uh, let's get it home with Notre Dame. Um, and hey, Notre Dame can win, and JB can still cash his Duke one and a half bet. We all go home happy. That's the that's that's the way that uh, that would be beautiful for all of us. So uh, coming up here in a little bit, we're going to talk a little Ivy League, maybe joined by Larkin Kemp. Uh, Ivy league expert as a uh, self coin former Redwoods and Brown LSM. Uh, so we'll be talking a little Ivy league with him when we hop, when uh, we get him hopping in here. Um, but just as we have a little bit of time here, guys, I, we, we talked last week and you've been seeing a lot of this on, uh, on, on Twitter, just people talking about, because it was a really great spot in the NLL last week, where if you shop around Hutton Jackson, always loves telling you line shop, line shop, line shop. If you did that, You had free money in your pocket last week because an arbitrage opportunity presented itself. So, Brian, I'm going to throw it your way. Um, You know, just as far as, you know, you you hear a lot of these terms, and I feel like a lot of novice bettors are maybe a little bit apprehensive to, you know, ask because they don't want to get destroyed by gambling Twitter, which can be uh, nefarious to say the least of, you know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing that's what this show is all about. Yes, we talk lacrosse, but we also try and inform you as people who are maybe newer to betting, what are these terms? What do they mean? I personally don't think any question is a stupid question. Even if you're trying to understand what a money line is, that's, uh, that's how we can all learn from each other. So this term has come up a lot this past week on gambling lacrosse Twitter, arbitrage. Now, when you hear that term, Brian, What does it really mean? And I guess maybe the way to break it down would be use the example that we had this last week where we had free money in our pocket by a nice catch that you guys had by line shopping.
2: Yeah, so uh, there was a line set by Caesars initially in DraftKings where uh, they had both teams at plus money. So on one book, you could get the Seals at plus money. And then on the other book, you get the Warriors at plus money. So arbitrage is kind of like, a very unique and unlikely opportunity uh, where you're not really making a bet. You're just kind of taking advantage of a, a mistake from uh, from the books. And what you need to look out for, the easy ones to look out for, are like what I just described, where you can get each team at plus money. It has, be, it has to be more than plus 100. So you can't just get your money back. You have to get more than your money back. So plus 105 or higher for each team. <laughs> Um, those are the easy ones to spot because the lines are just flipped on the books, uh, and we actually got DraftKings uh, to flip their line, but then MGM did it. So by DraftKings flipping their line, it, 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 we had three different books doing a dance of flipped lines, and if you just pay close enough attention, just by a cursory glance on the money line, you could take advantage of these opportunities, but they're super rare, which is why they're called an arbitrage opportunity, uh, but it, it doesn't always have to just be that books have their lines flipped. There's also cases where books don't pay close enough of attention uh, to each other's lines, and they could have it set up where if you have a, a favorite and it's the same favorite on two books, for example, right? But if, say, the favorite's like minus 150, and, uh, or sorry, the favorite is like, say, like minus 280, and the underdog's like plus 115, right? There's a reason why the, the book doesn't do uh like -150 150 plus 150 because you could bet on both of those lines and guarantee yourself money. So you can kind of game the uh a single book that way. So the favorite's always going to be a lower negative number than the underdog is on the money line. And if you but so if you find a case where the underdog's uh 280 but the favorite's 150 for example, and another book has the favorite at like minus 150 around. So the plus number and the minus number, the actual number themselves are close to the, close enough to each other. You can do a quick calculation like bet five on each or bet five on uh, the favorite and four on the underdog, for example, and you can guarantee yourself some money. And then obviously if you do the calculation, you uh, figure out that you can get money in either scenario by making both of those bets. You can increase your bankroll uh, like Dan never suggests to do outside of these circumstances and uh, get yourself a nice ch- uh, chunk of change in your pocket for basically no risk. But it's really rare. Like You really have to like take your time and scour all of the different lines that are offered because it rarely happens. And we're actually really close to one this weekend. I don't want to go on forever about this, but we're actually really close to one this weekend because uh, the SEAL's Wings is a is a 2.5 line on the spread on MGM, the minus 2.5 is plus 100. And the uh, plus 2.5 is minus 125 on uh, DraftKings. And if that plus line was a little bit higher, we would we would absolutely have another arbitrage opportunity this weekend across books, but it's just close enough that it doesn't work. Uh, and I, I got really excited because I thought I found another one immediately. But it that's how, that's how rare it is. Like, we get really excited around here. So you got to keep an eye out, not just for where the lines are flipped, but for where the positive and the negative numbers across uh, books are close enough that you can guarantee yourself some money. So it takes a little bit of math there.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, you made a great point as well that, you know, you're really never trying to expend your entire bankroll. But... There are very few times when you are betting that you are going to have a sure thing. I, I would say, what, 99.9999% of the time, you're trying to formulate a good handicap, feel good about a bet, when an opportunity presents itself, and this is why, if you're actually interested in making money sports betting. And, you know, even if it's just a negligible amount, like we're all recreational bettors. We're not, you know, betting a, a huge portion of our salaries on these games or anything like that. We're very upfront about that. But if you are serious about making money, even if it's a modest amount, you need to have multiple outs. And I understand that some places, um, they only have one regulated books. So you don't have this opportunity yet um, unless you're doing offshores, and again, that unpacks a whole entire different thing to talk about. I personally am not in favors of offshores. I've heard all the horror stories about when they shut down overnight. You, you know, you're waiting for somebody to pay you, and and they they say, oh, you know, I'll pay you on Tuesday, and then you check back Tuesday, you still have nothing to hear in your account. I've heard the horror stories firsthand accounts, not just hearing them through the vine. I've had buddies, I've had colleagues who have gotten completely screwed by betting offshores. I'm not saying they're all awful. I just personally think betting on regulated sports books is the better, safer and smarter route to go. I don't knock anybody who doesn't, but um you know that's personally just how I go towards it. So you need to have multiple outs and the reason is because when these golden goose eggs come along You need to crack that thing open and get the money out because it doesn't happen. It is very rare. You know, we've been betting NLL this entire season. We've had one of these opportunities thus far. And, you know, we cashed in on it because we had savvy guys like Brian and Hutton who realized, hey, there's a spot right here where we are guaranteed money because of a mistake made and you know you don't want to fault the odds makers they're people just like us you know hopefully nobody's losing their jobs over it but we as betters need to take every tool that we have and every little edge that we can get and pound them into the ground because you're always laying that big you're always laying that juice and you know you walk into a sports book pretty nice in there right the lights are always on there never seen a burnt out bulb in a sports book unless maybe it's in Atlantic City but that's a different uh, that's a different discussion uh so you know we need to take any edges that we have as betters and, and i think brian did a really good job kind of laying that out i don't know if you have anything more to add or um you know you know continue this conversation on these arbitrages and also really just line shopping as a whole how we can take advantage of it as betters. i think brian did a great job laying it out and i'm, I'm not sure if you have more to add on to it
3: no, I think he did an awesome job. And yeah, it just goes back to like what I've been saying line shop. That's how I discovered the opportunity, you know, because um, Bet MJM and DraftKings were both aligned in making the Seals underdogs in that game. And I saw that Caesars had the Warriors as underdogs. So that's kind of how the situation arose. And like you said, too, being able to like access your money, I was actually having trouble getting a deposit to go through with Caesars um, and ended up, you know, working out and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, that's the other thing, too, with some of these opportunities. Um, it's not going to be, you know, huge amounts of plus money. So you kind of have to have the bankroll to kind of make it work, too. Um, like, you know, if I placed a, a unit, I usually place a unit or a half a unit on most of my bets. I place 30 units on each side of this because I was able to net me, um, you know, a larger payout because of that. Now, you got to have access to those funds, too. Um, but when it's guaranteed that you're going to win, um, you know, it makes sense. It's really just how, how much, you know, capital you have at your disposal, but yeah, just being aware of these opportunities. Um, you know, once I placed my own bet, I shared it with you guys, shared it with a, a few colleagues and put it out there. And quickly, the lines were either flipping on DraftKings Kings, or they were locking the money line, like Bet MGM did Caesar stuck to their guns, which, you know, if you're the sports book, uh, that's probably kind of I don't know. I don't really know how these sports books kind of handle these types of situations because you don't want to be too over-reactionary like DraftKings did and kind of allow people to bet both sides on your book. But um, you know, then with Caesars, you get hammered really hard on either side too. Um, that could also be a negative result. For Caesars, they were happy to take my money because the Warriors did end up losing. Um, but for me, I didn't care because I had money on both sides. So, yeah, definitely keep an eye out for these opportunities. And like I said, line shop, even if you're not finding arbitrage opportunities, you can find a bit of an edge. Uh, last week, um, unfortunately, i had already bet it on DraftKings, but uh, the over-under was 22.5 in, I believe, the Panther City rush game. And on Caesars, it was 22. And that total ended up being 22. So you got to push if you ended up betting on Caesars. Or if you bet on DraftKings like me, you end up losing that bet. Uh, by the hook so just just another thing to be aware of is you know I had already placed my bet so I was kind of missed out on that but be aware that sometimes you can get slight edge and even that half that half point can make a huge difference um, even if you're laying a little bit more I, I tend to you know I think it was like minus 115 for 22 and a half and it was uh minus 125 to get the 22 I always Air on the side of taking that that half point if you like the play just because you never know like you you'd rather cash a bet or push a bet um than you know maybe get a little extra if it does hit so um that's
0: kind mm-hmm. of my uh my voice of reason with that type of put those type of plays. I'll tell you what a, a single tear rolls down my face as you and I, when we first, uh, you know, got together and we're, and we're talking about, you know, betting in the lacrosse space and, you know, how to grow. And we came up with the weekend wager that I would write, um, you know, come a long way has Hutton Jackson from the modest beginnings of editing the weekend wager to now moving markets with a single tweet. I love it man that that uh proud proud betting uh betting brother right here on that one. Um uh, JB I just want to bring you in before we get into some best bets um for our NCAA action we're going to get into some NLL as well but um you know we're all here kind of on the East Coast and messing with the books that we have. And I'm talking about this line shopping. I, I always forget to ask, you know, are you having an opportunity where you're able to line shop at all where you're at? I know also, you know, with the business that you have, um, a lot of what you do is through DraftKings. Um, you know, that's the sports book that I really use the, the most frequently. Um, I'm just wondering how you kind of attack line shopping. And in your area, are there different available markets where you're able to do that? Um, and if not, how do you kind of how do you kind of tackle that?
1: Yeah, I, once again, I'm definitely a big advocate for line shopping. Like we've all been saying the past couple minutes here, it's it's really, really advantageous to get a good line on a play and take advantage and get some money. Um, That's the way you're able to kind of build a bankroll long-term and, and also kind of um pump your spirits up while doing it as well. I definitely uh, kind of have access to when it comes to lacrosse. There's There's primary two books here in Indiana. I've been using DraftKings and BetMGM. And I've found that BetMGM sometimes has the better line options. Sometimes the prices are a little bit better here and there, just depending on the week. But I've I've really found some success with BetMGM. But with DraftKings, of course, that's my preferred book as well. I know uh, I've been a huge, huge advocate for DraftKings, being with Front Office Sports and our partnership with them. Um, So if you don't have a a DraftKings account, hop on those, those right now. But yeah, DraftKings seems to have more options when it comes to diversity, when it it comes to lacrosse as far as lines and also live options here and there, depending on the game. I know we've talked about that in the past. There's been a few matchups that have provided live lines. But also when it comes to the PLL, DraftKings provides player props. So that's also a a huge avenue to kind of get into. But yeah, when it comes to line shopping, I'm a huge advocate and being here in Indiana, luckily I... I do have options when it comes to bet MGM and DraftKings but hopefully here in the future I think more books are kind of going to catch on to lacrosse and how lucrative it can be and its fan base and how passionate they are so I wouldn't be surprised if this summer with the PLL getting underway that we see more more books adopting lacrosse
0: yeah, great. And, and you've already seen it. You know, there was uh, there was one dance in town last season, and now we already have a couple different books who are getting into it. You have NLL lines, you have NCAA. So it's only getting bigger. Hop on now. Don't miss the wave. So uh, before, um, you know, we're just going to get into some of our best bets for NCAA action this weekend. Um, and if we're joined by Larkin Kemp a little bit later, we're going to be getting into some Ivy league uh, talk, you know, uh, some games, some leans that we maybe have, and also uh, who, who, is in who is out you almost make a case for every team in the ivy outside of one or two for making it into the big dance coming up right around the way so guys let's get into it you know we've been we've been on for about half an hour now so it's uh best bet time for your listeners who have been riding with us the entire time we appreciate you doing so let's get into it jb i'm throwing it right back your way because you have a game with all these great games that are on the radar I was surprised to see um, the name that you have listed here for your best bet. You always love going off the reservation, and I always love cashing along with you, Justin Byers, front office sports business writer. What do you got for the folks? A little best bet action on our bet on the cross show.
1: Yeah, what what I found with with betting college sports sometimes it's. It's a really good advantage to bet on the mid-major like teams where not a ton of the public's kind of getting on them. I've found some great success doing that with college basketball this past season, and I have brought that over to lacrosse. So we're we're riding with Hobart plus one and a half this week, and I absolutely love this this spot for Hobart as an underdog. Which I, if I were a, a bookmaker, I would have kind of switched things in their matchup with Brian. Um, Hobart's coming into this game with four straight wins. And they've, they've found those wins in a, a variety of ways. If you look at the box score and uh, the statistics that kind of lie behind them, you, you see that they're able to kind of either give you a high output when it comes to scoring, or they're able to slow things down and, and work on six versus six sets and kind of grind things out. So I think that's why this, this Hobart team has an advantage going into this matchup, this tournament matchup. And I know if they've taken a loss – to Bryant in the past, and that's even more reason for them to kind of bounce back with a game that, that the season's depending on. If, if Hobart can get this win, they can advance in the next round and hopefully get an automatic bid to the tournament. So they're they're playing for their lives right now, and I've seen this offense put up a lot of points over the course of the year. I don't see that slowing down. Um, actually, not only on Saturday. This game's tomorrow, so we're, we're getting things started, started early. So I really like this spot for Hobart. Hobart getting the one and a half getting plus plus one ten. So you're
0: getting points. You're getting plus money, which means as Justin was talking, I was already placing my bet. Doesn't take me much to talk me into a dog. Love the spot as well. That's Justin Byers best bet. Hobart getting the one and a half. Now don't fall out of your chairs or if you're driving, listening in, you know, clutch tight to the wheel. Brian Andrews has his best bet. And oh my God. It's a total. Brian Andrews, pro lacrosse talk. What do you got for the folks, my man?
2: I, I really like what Justin was saying about the mid majors because I feel like that's been a lot of what my strategy has been when my bets aren't a total anyway. When I'm looking at spreads and other things like that, because every conference we've talked about that's that has the top talent has been has been such a wash. And for that reason, I'm I'm going back to the CAA uh, in this Towson UMass matchup. Uh the total is 23 and a half. I love the under here. Uh these two teams in particular love low scoring contests. Towson's 8 and 4 at that line. They haven't had that line every week, but if you look at their schedule of, like and judge it based on this line, they're 8 and 4 for the under and UMASS is 9 and 4 for the under. Uh the last time they played, they hit the under and it seems like very sporadically sometimes these teams get into high scoring affairs. Uh, like UMass versus Hofstra last last week, but I'm I'm not letting recency bias cloud my pick. I think uh, UMass is just pretty unanimously a grit close game team, and I think they're going to be able to hold Towson off. And I think uh, similarly, Towson's defense is going to be able to hold UMass offensive off offense off. So I think 23 and a half is a bit high for these two teams. And uh yeah, so I feel like the I feel like the picture picture's pretty clear cut here. So an under. You didn't really think Brian Andrews
0: was gonna come on here and best bet playoff time, give you an over. Heck no. I also just kind of bolster your point and it kind of rolls into what Hutton's looking at too. I feel like in any sport playoffs, and this isn't, you know, I hate making blanket statements like this because it, it's not an automatic cash situation, but Anytime playoffs roll around, I think sports naturally play to the under, not only because the added nerves that come into a game when it's win and go home. I think it's also defense is, is, you know, defense wins championships, right? But, but defense is so important and you just, these games play to defensive struggles because, you know, in a in a regular season game, when you're thinking, eh, am I really going to do this slide? The guy's probably going to score anyways. Like it's always just ratcheted up that little bit, and you see, you know, games that are flying under in um in in you know the NBA this year. You see games that end up going under in NFL playoffs as well. So I, I think sports when playoffs roll around naturally roll into under bets and um you know I, I think it's a good look there towson umass going under 23 and a half hutton jackson you got a best bet as well and you're also looking towards a total what do you got for the folks
3: yeah i like the under in the denver villanova game um these teams when they last played each other it was a 12 10 score um i think it's going to be tightly contested again and if you look at pace of play i always go back to that villanova's 55th Denver's 59th. These are they like to slow it down on offense. Um, you now, now granted, Denver is pretty efficient on offense despite slowing it down. They're ninth in offensive efficiency, but I think it's going to be another grinded out game. I like what you said too. Like these tight competitions tend to play to the under. So yeah, I'm taking the under 25 and a half. Villanova versus Denver. I'd probably play it even down to 24 and a half. I do like the 25 and a half though because we can't get uh, stuck in overtime if you know we do get to a 12. 12 game, we won't get affected by an overtime goal pushing it over. So yeah, I like under 25 and a half in Villanova
0: versus Denver. So we got two unders, we got a dog, and my best bet, I'm going back to – actually, everything comes full circle. Our first show of the season talking NCAA action, I was breaking down a Utah spot thinking that this was going to be a vindication year for them, and I'm going back to the well, but it's quite the different spot. I'm looking at Utah laying the five-and-a-half as they take on Bellarmine. Total in this game, 23-and-a-half. So here's how I'm going to start is – I, I, I hate to make it this simple. Um, Utah is just better than Bellarmine. I, I mean, records say it. They're five and zero in conference play. They're nine and three overall. The Utes are on the year versus. Uh, and if you just look at the uh, the conference, two and three for Bellarmine, four and twelve overall record. So the records are telling you this is the better team, and the stats say it too. Utah currently leading the ASUN in eight different statistical categories, including scoring offense, scoring margin. The Utes are leading the country as well as the conference in clearing percentage. They get their clears across 93% of the time. Utah also the only ASUN program that that is ranked top 20 nationally in assists and points per game. So you hear all of that and you hear... That 5.5 line, 5.5 line, that makes perfect sense, right? The part that has me scratching my head is two weeks ago, these teams met and it was a close game throughout. There were five ties between these two teams. The largest lead was three. Utah ends up winning 12 to 11. So it was grinded out. You know, you you just look at the last game, the last time that they faced off, and, you know, the Bellarmine spot seems 5.5. Oh, that's a slam dunk no brainer. But I think we learned. If it's too easy, it's probably too good to be true. And I'm not going to take the bait with Bellarmine and take the five and a half. I'm going to lay it with Utah. They're the top seed. They've been making statement after statement with a few hiccups here and there this year. But now they face a Bellarmine team that they have never lost to. It's a team that's limping into the postseason on a two-game skid. I think the youths are seeing this as a golden opportunity to come down from the top rope, continue the transformation that they've been having into a formidable program. So I'm laying the five and a half. I'm laying a little bit of juice to do it with Utah minus 125. That's going to be my best bet for this week. So just to recap, I got Utah minus five and a half against Bellarmine. We got Hobart getting the one and a half for JB. Brian looking towards the under 23 and a half for Towson, UMass and Hutton looking towards the under 25 and a half in Denver, Villanova. Hutton, while we're uh, we're waiting to get that hooked up, another kind of free best bet that you have for the folks is looking towards georgetown on the future i mentioned i already had that future in my pocket and uh you know i think there might still be some value i actually got it at plus 750 it's plus 800 now georgetown uh to potentially be winning the title here some value there for hutton and uh what are you thinking on that one and then we'll throw it to larkin
3: yeah, I uh, I was kind of waiting to see like if it would get any longer, and uh, it did a little bit. Um, but yeah, plus 800, I think it's good right now. I think they're the only team other than Maryland you can pencil in as going to make the tournament, regardless of what happens. If they lose to Marquette, barring any miracle, I still think they're getting into the tournament. So that's why I like that play. Whereas, like you know, I have a Notre Dame future as well, and I already mentioned that you know they, they still have to win a game essentially and and pray that they can get in the tournament. So um, that's why I really like Georgetown. They thirteen and one, been a top team all year. Maybe not play as tough competition as maybe the ACC or Ivy League has, but um, I really like Georgetown enough to place a future. And I think your value at plus eight hundred is not going to get much longer than that it might get worse so um i would definitely hop on it right now if if you can maybe you got maybe maybe one more week if they win the you know the uh, big east tournament but uh once tournament time rolls around it's gonna odds
0: are gonna start to shrink so get on it now yeah if there's value you gotta get it now so guys let's get into it very excited to be joined by former redwoods player brown lsm ivy league expert he made a tweet earlier this week saying i will be made uh, media availability whoever wants it can get it as the ivy league playoffs are rolling around huge thanks to Larkin kemp hopping on here man how are you doing and man people can't see you but looking dapper this evening my guy
4: how is it going brother thanks boys i appreciate it i know a little bit overdressed here um first let me say thanks for all you do for the game this is uh Exploding space within our sport. I work in entertainment on the wrestling side, and it's a hot button. One of the reasons, hopefully, professional lacrosse and NC2A lacrosse will continue to grow in television ratings and all the things we care about. Um, so, A, let me start with that. B, couldn't be more excited about the entire slate, not just the Ivy League. I think we got great games across the board. Very rare that you get an ACC Blue Blood playing game with Arlotta, Notre Dame, Duke. I mean, how cool is that? OSU Rutgers, a lot on the line there. Uh, just really almost everywhere. SoCon, right to play. All those teams need to win out. CAA, Pat League, I mean, it doesn't get any better. So, you know, the entire board's going to be incredible. But as an Ivy League homer, and I'm sure you guys want me to rant about it, I'll I'll get going on what we're going to see in Providence this weekend. I mean, let me start. In terms of top down, I think this is the best the league's ever been. If you could tell me at the beginning of the season that we'd have a team that beat Georgetown and Rutgers And sitting in Princeton, New Jersey, watching the Ivy League tournament, I'd be like, that's insane, right? I mean, the fact that Princeton and Harvard, mathematically, if you take away the logos, have incredible, obviously, Princeton's going to be in, they're going to host. But Harvard, like if you switch the Harvard and Notre Dame logo, Harvard is totally in bubble consideration, and they're the sixth team in the Ivy. The reason they're going to miss is because obviously the committee just can't let six in. It's just almost unfair to them. But Jerry and those kids up in Cambridge deserve all the credit in the world for that. In terms of the matchups this weekend, we'll start with the host. I'm a homer. We started this league season 0-2, and we were looking down the gauntlet of at Penn, Yale at home, at Cornell. Mike Daly and the boys circled the wagons. They kind of reconfigure a couple things, offense, defense. Little guy by the name of People's Goalie starts seeing the rock, and this team just runs the gauntlet, and I'd argue they're the second-hottest team in lacrosse behind Maryland. I don't think anyone wants them in the first round or the quarterfinals midfield top heavy dodging, top money throwbacks, just simple, simple, almost professional lacrosse. And what I mean by that is you just attack shorts, you gain leverage, you don't test poles And really you just kind of meat and potato run by your guy, throw it in the net. Like it's really that simple. It's what we've done over the last month. Couldn't be happier for the, the program that we're hosting. I think, you know, the reality when you play at a blue blood, like, the fans kind of get used to every game being huge. I mean, Providence is going to be popping for this. It's a capacity of 3,500. It's going to be a Woodstock-type environment, 830 under the lights. Like, kids are going to be climbing over the fence to get a view. It's, I mean, how cool is that? It hasn't been like that since 2016. Um, in terms of the game itself, I actually think these teams are very similar. And here's what I mean by that. Neither are defined by X initiation and south-north dodging. They are both defined by big, strong, bruising midfielders who attack short sticks. And obviously Sam Hanley's a special talent. I would argue Ryan Oghaven is that good. Like he's he is also talented enough to attack poles and kind of like gain respect in early slides. Um so this game's gonna be one in the middle of the field. It's gonna be one with fifty-fifty ground balls on the wing. It's gonna be one with you know one or two of the kind of no-name middies in terms of like I know we all know their names, but the Reed Moschietti's, the Griffin Kings. The Jack Kelly's like they're going to beat shorts, get to the middle, and they're going to kind of catalyze things on either side of the rock. Um, And that's going to be the difference. And there's really like one other matchup, I think, that can kind of tilt this thing. It's people's goalie, my guy, versus Pat Birkinshaw, who's been as streaky as anyone, but as good as anyone at times. He's also a talented kid. He had 17 saves in that loss when we played them at Franklin Field. He has the potential to see the rock really well. But my prediction on this, and then I'll get to the way you guys obviously do it in terms of lines. I just think when you look at the cumulative last four weeks, Brown has found a mojo and a karma, a momentum that I just can't bet against. Like Penn has been up and down. They play down to teams. They play up. They're the cardiac quakes, which isn't necessarily a compliment. Like Brown has just been rock solid. Like Bryant is typically a trip game for them even when we beat him, we barely beat him. Like we rolled Mike Pressler on Tuesday after a really emotional win um, up at Cornell. I expect Brown to go up early and to kind of like hold on. I actually am predicting a 17, 15. So the line I like in this, I actually like the over. And the reason I like that is when Brown gets a lead because of the athleticism of the people's goalie. And that's, I'm self-chirping myself, obviously people, 10 man. And that creates a ton of space and it generates overs really. I mean, it's no different than it's basically like the inverse of football. When you start running the rock late in lacrosse, it's the exact opposite. If it's not a tight game, the clock gets longer. because 10 mans occur and easy goals in transition. Um, so I think we'll be up like two or three at half. And I think we kind of pull away and then Penn kind of roars back. Now the, the X factor here is obviously Sam Hanley. Like he's that good. He has the potential to just, I think at Princeton and the loss this year, he was like five and five. Like that's just insane out of the midfield. Um, and then Two other call outs. Brown, surprisingly, is really good on special teams. Penn needs to win the penalty battle for them to have a chance. Penn is the worst man down in the league. We have the best man up in the league, even though a lot of people wouldn't think that. And our downers is actually rock solid. Um, so as a Brown guy, we obviously got to stay out of the box. But but I love where we stand. I think the D mids are up to the challenge. Boa Cody, Pike, super athletic kids. I think we'll chunk and run and I think we'll hold on that's that's game one terrific breakdown right there Hutton I'll throw it your way um you know but just to kind of
0: back up um with with numbers what Larkin's kind of laying out there with the x's and o's this is a brown team that offensively has just been rolling haven't failed to reach double digits since that loss to Princeton when they were just outside with nine goals there so you know kind of bolstering the point of looking towards that over and I know that was a spot that you kind of liked as well Hutton
3: yeah, I was leaning the over 24 and a half, and I think Larkin's now convinced me to actually bet it because, uh, yeah, I just think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be tight, um, you know, and it's essentially a pick em game. Um, I know you predicted, you know, 17-15, uh, but, you know, it's almost like I, I don't like laying any points with the Ivy League. You can still get Brown on the money line at minus 115. Like, if you like Brown in this game, it's not a – it's not a bad spot there either, um, but yeah, I think the over is the play here just because half tends to be on the, the lower side, and I think these offenses have shown that they can put up a lot of points, and I expect it to to be a high-scoring affair as well. I agree with Larkin on that point.
0: And I think this is an opportunity because JB, my guy Justin Byers with front office sports, was actually looking towards Penn on the money line. So you can put a little boxing gloves on, a little toe-to-toe, and uh, make the case against
1: Larkins Brown there. What do you got for him, JB? I'm, t- I'm telling you, the, the dogs are barking this weekend. I- I'll be uh, I'll be the first to say that Brown, of course, they got off to uh, a, kind of a lukewarm start to start the season. I'd watched that matchup between Brown and Vermont and saw Brown kind of give up a lead to Vermont. And I've, ever since then, I've been kind of hesitant to go all in on this Brown team, even though they're, they're arguably the top dog in the Ivy league when it comes to just overall team. And of course with Mike Daly, any offense he has it's going to be scary we've seen his teams in the past at Tufts put up a ton of goals and he kind of translated that over to Brown so there's there's no there's going to be no shortage of shots when it comes to Penn but I think Penn has a, a good advantage when it comes to the athleticism and in between the lines which I think could kind of boil down to a, a nitty-gritty game we see for the Ivy League I, I, I just like what I've seen from Penn more lately than what I've seen from Brown in the entirety of the season. And I don't know if that's a fair kind of gauge or assumption, but I, I give more stock and the the whole picture of Penn rather than, than Brown. So I, I'm going to roll with the dog on this one simply because it's a, it's a conference matchup. And it's a conference matchup with a lot on the line, the whole season on the line. So that's where I'm gonna roll with with Penn.
4: No, I think that's all fair. I mean to to be clear, like Penn is battle tested. They have a top five strength of schedule every year. They got guys who have played in massive ball games. They're super athletic. They have arguably the best player on the field, probably in Sam Handley. I think BJ Ferrar is a super athletic, all American type LSM. Like, there's no question a compelling argument of why Penn wins this game. I just think when you consider the home factor. And then if you took away Brown's losses and you just looked at the four weeks, like if you just look at the last month, I think Brown's playing as well as anybody. And because of that, considering where the line is, um, that's kind of where I am leaning. And that's why I've taken the over, but listen, I have all the respect in the world for Murph and that staff. And the good news is I know Dales does too. And I know we respect the hell out of that team. And it's a big boy matchup. Like this is put on your hard hat and your lunch pails is why you come to Brown. This is, it'll be great. Yeah,
0: and I think I mean you know from your time playing too, Larkin. There's something to be said, and I hate you know using the old like cliches and things about you know peaking at the right time. And I think you know the case that you make is that Brown is really just maybe not peaking at the right time, but just catching fire. You know, really finding their identity right when they need to in the heart of the season. And, and you know, I think there's there's something to be said for that, Brian. You'll get last words on this game before we uh, switch on over to Cornell Yale. Anything to add? I know that you probably were loving hearing the case that was made for the over in this one.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Largan, thanks for uh, joining us and talking about the Ivies with us. Uh, I really like the points that you were making, uh, particularly about Brown going up early and uh, Penn maybe having to claw their way back and playing up and down to their opponents. We saw that with uh, St. Joe's super recently where they were able to claw back and make the game really close. Um, and I think that that is a narrative that is very likely for this game as well. And I think that's going to end up making it a high scoring game. Cause if Penn has to claw their way back, Brown's going to have to respond to, to keep their lead. And I think that really pushes it over, uh, 24 and a half goals. Um, I also really like what you, what you brought up about like, uh, the end of the game and how it's kind of like the inverse of football. And it's really easy to run the clock out in, uh, In lacrosse, even still with the shot clock, because teams have to take risks to get the ball back with enough time on the clock to really catch back up. Uh, So if Penn really lets the game slip away, the total could really fall. I don't really see them doing it. So I really liked your point about the over 24 and a half. And I'm actually probably going to lay that now. (laughs)
4: Love it, boys. That's what I'm here for.
0: Winning us over. That's what we're talking about. Some actionable info. Again, huge thanks to Larkin Kemp joining us here, former Redwoods Brown LSM on our bet on the cross Twitter space. So before we get into the next matchup, I feel like Larkin, we kind of buried the lead a little bit in the fact of a tweet you sent out a little bit ago. This is not a drill. Andy Towers in attendance this weekend uh now does that have any betting implication or does that just mean there's going to be that much more juice in the arena there
4: no i mean it it, it's a who's who of degenerates from the brown alumni group that will be (laughs) arriving at the parking lot at 5 p.m like the list represents like from a movie a bachelor party like it's everyone who can throw them back from our hall of fame it will be in attendance dave evans Andy Towers, Tom Towers, like all of the the big boys. So it's, I think it's a representation of how we feel about this team, how we feel about the trajectory of our program, how excited we are for the opportunity on Friday. Like this is, I mean, this is, this is everything, you know, that, that we live for. Um, You know, our alumni base put a ton of time and energy into revamping our facilities. I don't know if you guys have been there. Like when I played at Brown, I I love Brown. We played at a high school field. Like it was literally just like metal bleachers, like no press box, like nothing. Now we have this like beautiful, you know, 3000 seat stadium and I mean it's going to be a madhouse and you know when Ryan O'Ghaven first possession goes left to right and buries from like 19, the place is going to explode. Like literally explode.
0: Uh who's who of degenerates. Um I need that on a t-shirt. Uh like like that 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 needs to happen. Uh, unreal stuff there sounds like quite the atmosphere that's going to be going man I, I'm almost thinking about just hopping on a plane and finding a way to get there because that is electricity in a bottle right there and that bottle's exploding coming this weekend according to our guy Larkin let's get into this other matchup too because it's another one I mean we've been talking all year long about the Ivy trying to make money betting the Ivy this year has been a gauntlet just because what you were speaking at at the top is exactly what's happening in the betting market. The parity is at an all-time high, and it's a credit to these programs and what they've been able to build. I've been banging that drum all year long that this Ivy League is is the league to beat this year. I said a couple episodes ago, if you gave me a choice, if you could tell me who's coming out of the Ivy and who's getting into the tournament, those are the teams outside of Maryland that I would feel confident putting a future on because not only are they playing at an all-time level, they're all getting battle-tested, and, and another battle is going to be going down when Cornell's taking on Yale. Cornell is short favorite, minus one-and-a-half. Total in this one, 27-and-a-half. So how do you break this one down, Larkin?
4: Yeah, I feel pretty good about this one too, boys. Obviously, I watch a ton of film on the league. I think that the casual fan obviously aligns with the recent success of Andy Shea in this tournament and the precedent of, like, nobody beats him twice. I think most people in the country are going to lay with Yale and, and, and take the points, obviously. And feel fairly strong about that. I'm about to give you an argument of why I'm going to go the other direction. Yale for a decade has been defined by their defensive cohesion. They beat teams like 10-7 and the strength of their team was Ty Warner and Mark Mm -hmm. Lissini and all of these poles that really could slide and recover. This Yale team is unbelievably inexperienced and young on that defense side of the ball. And candidly, they're just giving up too many goals. Now, where am I going with this? Matt Brandow, has to carry the water for Yale. If you look at the matchups for Yale and the Ivy, I would argue that Cornell is the toughest draw. Why? Because Gavin Adler is a grown man. Like, Matt Brandow is the trigger man. Like, he has to be good. He has to generate leverage even when he's not getting points. He's the one who creates space because people respect him and hedge for the Lions and the Johnsons and the Teblins to be able to get to their strong hand and finish in space. Cornell does not have to slide. like Gavin Adler is that good. He's in my opinion, Schmeister finalist. I think Jordan Stevens, who I respect is going to say, we were going to make Matt Brandout beat our best player. We we're going to put him on an Island. We we're going to force these young kids to beat the other five guys. We are not going to give them space to be a South North feeding lanes. And I, I personally believe that Cornell is, although they've been up and down. And that's why I, you know, a lot of the smart money and I'm kind of tripping myself there is going the other direction, specifically the Army and Brown results. I think the first quarter against Princeton, they looked as good as anybody. I think that the Richie Moran spark, RIP, has kind of galvanized that group and got them heading the right direction. And just specifically that matchup, like I can't get away from the fact there's something burned in my mind. It's 13-12. We're in Ithaca. Andy Shea calls timeout. He gives the ball to his best player and he says, go beat your guy. And Gavin Adler, I don't know if you guys remember the end of that game, literally, like, ate him up so that he couldn't even – not only could he not get to 5-5, five and five, he couldn't even feed the crease. Like, that kid's that good. I have all the respect in the world for him. So because of that, I'm going to lean with the experience of Pietali and some of the Cornell offensive players that they can go get some goals, and I think they're going to win 15-12 with an empty netter. So
0: 15-12 in astute. Uh, you know final score there as the total sitting right around 27 and a half sounds like there could be some goals going down this weekend and should be exciting I know JB um, you know you're hoping maybe one more goal than that final score as you're kind of looking towards that over and uh, we can maybe have uh, you know Larkin add a little bit to that point but the total in this one JB I think you have a pretty good case playing towards that over what do you got for the folks
1: yeah, I love the output I saw from Yale last week versus Harvard. Um, we, we have said that Yale you know, can, can kind of grind it out when they need to, but they can score when needed to as well. And, of course, we know about Connor Busick's Cornell team. They can score no matter what the game's looking like. They're able to put goals in the back of the net. We saw that against Syracuse. They're being down pretty early and climbing back into that and getting that win. So, we can see, we can expect some, some high scoring offense from both Cornell and Yale, I think, in this game. Um, they're going to be playing tough and, and hard no. So, I think we will get some penalty opportunities. So, hopefully, we'll get some easy goals there as well, which is kind of why I'm leading towards the over. I'm actually all in on this over um, at 27. I think it could be at 28, and I'd still maybe even look at it. But I like this number at 27. Also, to know, Yale, the past six games, they've all gone over 30 goals. The last game that went under was their Grudge Fest against Penn. I think they just continue that trend of of scoring a lot of goals.
0: So, Larkin, I don't know if you have anything to add on to that. You know, Goal Fest, I think your breakdown kind of played to that as well. And maybe, you know, you just get just enough. And I think there is something to be said too. you know, again, you with your player experience with there's something to be said when there's an energy around an event, you know what I mean? And boys are buzzing, they're flying around. And there's just that little added juice, you know, maybe the keeps are pulling a little bit tight. Um, So, you know, I I feel like maybe just this weekend and the atmosphere that's around it will naturally play just the energy in these stadiums to, to playing into over games, a lot of excitement, you know?
4: Yeah, no, listen, I think everything I said was highly correlated to what JB said. I, I think it, Like, for a decade, no one would bet an over with Andy Shea involved. Like, Cliff Baxter is his D coordinator and how good that defense was. Like, they could really clamp down on teams. I still think they're finding themselves, really, which is the foundation of my thesis, which is the same exact argument JB just made, which is if it gets into a track meet and, you know, it gets up and down and both sides are filling the net, I could easily see this, you know, getting up towards 30, 31, 32. Um, You know, at the end of the day, like, what's so cool about this weekend at the Ivy League tournament it really is like coin flips. Like, it's so hard to predict and scout these matchups, which speaks to the parody in the league and what makes it so fun to be playing Ivy League ball right now.
0: Yeah. And I know you've been super busy, man. You're just fresh off a recording with the crease dive guys. That's going to be dropping tomorrow. Check that out. The barstool guys do a terrific job. One of my favorite shows. So highly suggest checking out the episode dropping tomorrow with Larkin as a guest on it. So I don't want to hold you for too much longer, but really the, the, the last kind of thing to maybe wrap it. And it's a whole view of kind of what we've been talking about here, just breaking down the Ivy's Is just how strong that it is. Think about how terrific Princeton was to start this season. And now they're potentially a bubble team who might not even make it in. So despite missing the Ivy League tournament, can a pay- case be made for Princeton? Because I, I think you could argue that damn near every one of these teams could make a pretty stout case, regardless where these chips fall in the Ivy League tournament, for why they should maybe make it in over another team who's on the bubble. So how do you kind of view the futures with this Ivy League market? And also, um, what do you think about Princeton maybe potentially getting the short end of the stick about the, after the season they put together?
4: Yeah, I think the first, so just to talk about the bubble and like bracketology for a second, what would have really supported the Notre Dame, Duke, ACC argument is if Princeton had beaten Cornell and hosted the Ivy tournament. Princeton missing the Ivy tournament makes it so hard for the committee to not take five Ivy league bids because Princeton mathematically has the strongest case and they didn't even make the Ivy league tournament. They're three in the RPI. There's just no precedent to not let that team in, let alone probably have them host. So to me, like what would have really simplified it for the committee is Princeton hosts and then whoever misses, if it's like Brown, Penn, whoever it may be, you say your corporate line is basically, well, you weren't good enough to make your conference tournament. We went with the four teams, better luck next year. And then you kind of have the leeway to go elsewhere on the bubble. So I think what makes this so fascinating is I think it's a slam dunk all five are in. I think if you win Friday, you host, you probably host a top six game. Like Yale Cornell, the winner, I think will be the three or the four seed. I think the Brown Penn winner will probably be the sixth seed. I think what's so fascinating about this bracketology is location and travel is going to be a huge piece of this because of the six, or sorry, the five Ivy League teams. You're only supposed to have 400 miles at a maximum between games. If not, you're only allowed two chartered planes. That is the actual criteria in the bylaws of the committee. That makes it incredibly difficult to make like rational Seeding, which is why, in my prediction, you'll see probably Rutgers play Princeton. You'll probably see if BU wins the Patriot League, you'll probably see them go down to Brown or them go to Yale, right? If Army beats BU, it'll be flipped. They could go to like Penn or something. But I make that argument that, remember, you can't have conference matchups, so none of the Ivies can play each other, okay? So when you think about how you need to spread them throughout the bracket, it becomes really challenged. Um, But at a high level, I think the easiest way to summate it is you win Friday, you host, you lose Friday, you get in, but you probably travel unless you're Yale. And I still think if you're Yale and you lose, I think you're like a seven, eight seed.
0: Wow, man. Well, Larkin, again, thank you. I know I speak for all these guys. I speak for people who are listening in now. I had people blowing up my phone saying, dude, this, this guy's knowledge of this game is unreal. So huge thanks for you You know, taking some time out. I know you've been making the rounds on all different kinds of shows, so I know you're probably a little spent. You maybe need to get some uh, stock and some lodges and some halls or something like that. Cause you have just been going, man, but so appreciate, you know, you, you said you thank us for what we do. Um, you know, having players like you who have this kind of outreach and are willing to, you know, inform people and really help us learn a lot about this game that we all love and also help us make some money on it in the betting space. Now uh, can't say thank you enough. Appreciate you. And you got an open seat. Anytime you want to join bet on lacrosse,
4: we'd love to have you back. And thanks for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, love it, boys. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to coming back. And uh, again, thanks for all you do. And of course, go Bruno. <laughs> Here we go. Let's hammer Brown. Let's hammer the over
0: right there. Huge thanks to Larkin Kemp joining in and joining the space here. Uh, we got some NLL talk coming up here again, just uh, terrific stuff there. You know, the knowledge just pouring out. So why uh, you guys uh, tough act to follow there with, with Larkin, as we kind of pivot the conversation, go into some NLL action, our pro lacrosse bets two, two and one last weekend. And we went a little bit longer here on this episode, but when you have knowledge like that, a guy like Larkin taking time out of his night to hop on here and inform us all. I mean, that's invaluable stuff. We we could have kept him on for seven hours and just kept picking his mind because, you know, when he's talking about, you know, the matches, the matchups and the X's and O's, I, I mean, that's part that as I'm hearing him speaking, maybe we need to start bringing on a little bit more in as we're formulating our matchup plays because I find myself so often slipping into just Uh, Betting axioms, like really, that that's what I know. Like, I love the sport of lacrosse, but I'm not nearly, you know, I'm I'm in two hundred one. While Larkin's teaching the graduates class on 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 this kind of stuff, so you know, I feel like having that X's and O's background is there's no way an odds maker making any line knows anything more or even knows a, a, a a nth of what Larkin was just dropping as far as X's and O's go. And that doesn't mean you know the plays that he's looking towards are a sure thing or anything like that. It just means you know, we talk about finding these little edges and in a sport like lacrosse, there is not an odds maker in America or, or, or offshore that somebody like that that they would know more than what what he was just dropping and that knowledge that he was having. So, um, you know, fascinating stuff right there. So guys, let's pivot on into our NLL matchups. I'm going to hand the mic on over to Hutton and Brian. We got some favorite plays and we also have some things to get into, um, you know, just, uh, just some more macro stuff. So Hutton, Mike is yours. And uh, I'm just going to sit back and soak in the, uh, the genius that we just got dropped on us there.
3: Yeah, big shout out to Larkin for hopping on. Really appreciate it, um, picking his brain and just talking about the Ivy League, helping us make sense of it, uh, you know, echo all the things you said. In terms of NLL, I mean, crazy. We got conference turning week. I we got the NLL playoffs starting off, too. Um, you know, we got eight teams in. Uh, it was a thriller between the Wings and Georgia. So my Georgia Swarm futures ticket went to die, but happy to see the Wings in as well. Um and I'm just gonna run down the, the futures odds a little bit. So you got bandits plus one fifteen. Um they are the odds on favorite, not even close really. Um and then you got the seals at plus four hundred. They ended up taking that top seed in the West with their win last week. Rocket plus four fifty. Um they're gonna take on the Thunderbirds at plus five fifty. Mammoth plus twelve hundred. They're taking on Calgary plus twenty five hundred. Calgary's the longest odds right now, plus twenty five hundred. Um, Firewolves plus sixteen hundred. They ended up getting that fourth seed in the East, taking on the Bandits first round, and the Wings are the wild card. So they're actually in the West bracket despite being an East team, and they'll play the Seals at plus 1,800 on the futures market. Mention mentioned Calgary being the longest odds. They were actually plus 5,000 right after they clinched a playoff spot. So there's some teams like the Wings and Firewolves that had shorter odds than them to win the championship despite not securing a playoff berth yet swarm are another team that now are not in the playoffs. So very interesting there, how Vegas is kind of viewing Calgary as the longest odds, despite actually being a favorite in their matchup against the Mammoth. So I'll start with one of my favorite plays this week. um, And that is taking the Mammoth on the money line and placing a future on Calgary. Now, my logic here is that those kind of sound contradictory, but it kind of goes back into our discussion about the arbitrage betting and stuff. If you place a future on Calgary, let's say you do a half unit on them at uh, you know, plus 2,500, uh, you have the chance to win 12 and a half units if they end up winning the championship. Now, my thought process here is do that, place a unit on the Mammoth Moneyline. If the Mammoth win, you cover your bet on Calgary despite Calgary being out and you missing out on the future. Calgary wins your future still alive and you're just taking pretty much essentially a unit out of what your potential winnings will be. And you keep kind of doing that. So I think if Calgary wins um, and you have that future, it sets you up for their next playoff series. They're the semis. They only need f- essentially four wins to win a championship from them that point on. Um, and I would, you know, I would f- fade them in elimination games to kind of cover your, your, your ass and hedge there. So, you know, if they end up going down a game, in this next series, if they do advance, you know, you bet the the other team to win. Um, Cal- Calgary, honestly, where they're at too, like I said, they're, they're favored against the mammoth. I honestly think if the wings win, they're going to be favored against the wings. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure of that. If the seals win, they've beaten the seals. They might even be favored against the seals. And even if they're not favored, it might be a pick So you're still going to get pretty good odds on the opposite opposite side, which helps your hedge opportunity. So you know, I'm talking a lot of math here but I think having a Calgary ticket in hand at plus 2,500 is a very smart move depending on what you do. Um, Even if you decide not to do any hedge, it's just a nice ticket to have because there's so much value on it. Um, And I can guarantee if they win this game against the Mammoth, it's going to drop drastically. You're going to go from eight teams to four teams. Bet that you're not going to be able to get plus 2,500. Uh, Probably be in the, you know, late hundreds, you know, they're probably looking at plus 800 um, at best if they win this game. So, that's kind of how I would approach that. I know, Brian, you have a play in this game as well that's separate from the side. Uh, I'll toss to you to kind of fill in the void from what I missed. Um, but we'll kind of how are you playing this game between the Mammoth and the Roughnecks?
2: I'm following you on the play that you just described with with the hedging opportunity. Um, but in addition to that, the Mammoth and the Roughnecks just played last week, and – uh, I put out an article in, like, I don't know, late March or early April that talked about teams playing twice in a row. It's kind of like a proxy for uh, how a series might play out, and we kind of already have one somehow, and I didn't even realize it until uh, today. And uh, so I really like the total in this game. It's set at 21.5, which, I mean, we don't get much variation in the totals. But I, li- I like the line because the score of the last game was 14-11. And what we tend to see is the second game, on average – The total score of the game is minus 4.25. So, uh, four and a quarter less goals on average. And uh, the last time these two teams played in a row, the first score was 14 10, and then the second game was 9 7. So, I'm kind of like betting the scores decreasing are definitely, there's definitely some influence where, uh, depending on, Sometimes who your goalie is, your goalie gets hot in the next game. He knows how the other team shoots. He knows what the offensive scheme is. He knows where the shots are coming from and when to expect them. Uh, the defense can uh, shut down their top player in some cases. Uh, every team is different. Every matchup is different. Uh, but we've already seen this story once before, and I think it's I think it could be likely that it happens again. So I really like the under in this game, uh, just how teams have been playing each other back-to-back and and. Uh, how low scoring a lot of those second games have been. The Mammoth played the the Warriors kind of towards the beginning of the season. The first week it was 18-15. The next game was 9-4. So uh, with, you know, Dylan Ward and uh, Del Bianco and Cage, like I don't see this game going above 25. So I, I actually see it being a lot lower scoring. Um. And not not even to mention, like, you know, Roughnecks having Zach Currier, is gonna, he's going to totally neutralize the Mammoth offense. So, yeah, I really uh, like the of that.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you mentioned Ward and Del Bianco, two of the best boys in the league, uh, maybe not playing at a high level earlier in the season, but starting to get back to form recently, especially Del Bianco, who's been as good as anybody in the past couple games. Um, and I definitely think this environment is going to play to the under as well. Um And then, you know, the Wings-Seals game is another game I think we both like um getting the plus two and a half uh, there, which is rare to see in pro lacrosse. We got another plus two. We have another two and a half spread between the Bandits and Firewolves. Maybe not as advantageous as this Wings one, but the Wings two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, just beat the Seals in overtime. So I really like this plus two and a half play. Um, You know, I, I just think it's a, it's a smart play. You know, uh, I think the Wings have shown they can beat the Seals. Seals are good. They haven't played well recently. The la- last time they just got that first win in over a month this past week. So that was a good monkey off their back. But, uh, yeah, I kind of like back in the Wings plus two and a half. You don't need them to win. You just need them to keep it close. Um, I don't know anything to add on that, Brian, in terms of back in the Wings. I know a little bit of a homer play uh, with the Wings so close to me, and you guys are Wings fans, so. but um, it feels like a smart play
2: to me. It, it's It's definitely a little bit of a homer play because on paper it's kind of a bad play. The Wings are awful at covering the spread. They're the worst team by a wide margin at covering the spread in the entire league. So it's a little bit of a homer play, but it's also – it's also a little bit of a fade of the Seals' defense and Chiliano. They've been really struggling. They, they just beat the Warriors by one, and that was their first win in over a month. And when you go back and look at their stats, I know I know, uh, looking at the numbers for Chiliano is not totally indicative. It also means the defense are giving up shots in places that are disadvantageous for the goalie. But his save percentage has been really low. There was a game where he, he only had like 23 saves, like 60% save percentage. For lacrosse fans, we're normally like, oh, my God. But in the NLL, it's like, oh, my God, that's, like, literally the worst you can possibly do. Uh, so it's a little bit of a fate of their defense right now. And even though the the Wings basically need games to go into overtime to win, uh, I think that their offense is finding its rhythm again a little bit. And uh, I don't think either side of the floor is kind of firing on all cylinders for the Seals. So I, I think – I think the Wings could even like win this game, but I do think the cover is the right call. I'm definitely not laying points with the Seals right now, with how they've been playing for over oh, a month. The Warriors are struggling, and the fact that they only beat them by one is indicative of a continuation of the problems they've been having.
3: Yeah, no, and you mentioned the Wings haven't been good at covering either of the Seals, you know, and uh, the Wings were failing to cover mostly when they were favorites. Now, as a a two-and-a-half-point underdog, I don't think they've been two-and-a-half-point underdogs in any game so far. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of, you know, is is a good play there. And like we said, the Seals um, not covering themselves really well as well. So just, you know, pure numbers play, I think the two-and-a-half is the right move. I personally like the Firewolves plus two-and-a-half as well. They beat the Bandits earlier in the season. They also lost by more than three goals to the Bandits earlier in the season as well. So, um, you know, but I just think in a playoff environment, You know, I think Doug Jamison, it's again, uh, if you look at all these teams, goaltending is huge for all these playoff teams. You can't look at any of these teams and find a weak goaltender. And uh, I think that's uh, evident, you know, in the playoff teams is you have to have good goaltending and goaltending sends a play towards the under. I'm not taking any unders this week, although, you know, Calgary, Colorado may have convinced me. Um, but I think that's indicative of it being tight. And as good as the Bandits have looked, I think the Firewolves can hang around. So it's probably only a half unit play for me on Firewolves plus two and a half. But I think there is some value there. Um, I think they're going to keep it close. Although I do think the Bandits will ultimately win this game. Um,
2: I'm I'm kind of playing both plus two and a halfs. I mean, you got to uh, one. I just want to loop back to the Wings for like one other point. You you brought up goaltending, which is a great point because if you're if you're Goaltenders are just kind of off in the NLL. Like shots just start falling and it's impossible to keep up. And uh, Higgins, the Wings goalie, has been an absolute showstopper. I know, I know they're in overtime all the time, but it's not because it's because Higgins ma- is making the saves to keep them in the game. It's not because Higgins is getting letting up goals that he shouldn't. That man stands on his head so frequently and he's so good. And I think that he's going to be able to keep them in the game against the Seals again. How
0: about it, boys? Man, there's a lot of knowledge being dropped out here on the Bet on Lacrosse show. One of our longer editions here, nearly an hour and a half of lacrosse betting goodness. We do it. Cause nobody else is doing it. Huge thanks again to Larkin Kemp dropping in. If you missed that part of the show, um, this is recorded. This is archived. You can also like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, um, and you can just stay in your Twitter feed as well to check out our episodes here. Um, but just to recap again, we got the wings getting the two and a half. Blaze Reardon, give us some more. Uh, you know, uh, even if it's just you know some end of the game heroics or whatever, diving into the crease hey, let's get that two and a half home maybe even pull the upset for us homers Hutton's also looking towards the fire rolls getting the two and a half we're looking at the uh, the Colorado under 21 and a half for Brian and we also were saying you know maybe some value on going some mammoth money line plus 100 and also taking Calgary to win the title at 2500 little uh, you know kind of hedge opportunity there that could potentially be making you some money there that Hutton broke down as well our favorite NCAA plays for The week I'm taking Utah laying the five and a half against Bellarmine. Justin's going with Hobart, getting the one and a half. We got two unders, one of which in the Towson UMass game that's under 23 and a half from Brian Andrews and Hutton Jackson looking towards under 25 and a half. Denver Villanova again, huge thanks to Larkin Kemp. He was looking towards Brown and you know, maybe a little bit of a homer pick, but he had the. Uh, the uh the stats and the handicap to back it up there brown potentially getting the win we're also all looking towards the over in that brown pen game total 24 and a half one that might be moving up and also potentially some value on the over 27 and a half in the cornell and yale game thanks for tuning in thanks for being a part of bet on lacrosse for my guys justin byers front office sports business writer follow him check out all of his work doing a great job over there follow brian andrews and hutton jackson for the crew i'm dan alexander and we'll talk to you next week hopefully with a little bit more money in our pocket good luck this
1: week